2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 1 in a passage that we've often read about, quoted, and it's been preached on many times. I, I'm looking just at the page here in my Bible, and boy, it's marked up. So many different co- times I've preached here, but not necessarily what I'm going to be preaching for uh, today. It really deals with our theme, and it's amazing how we go to the Word of God and always find something uh, maybe from a different perspective than we've seen before, and that's because the Word of God is quick and living. Amen? Uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, Paul, speaking to a young preacher by the name of Timothy here, says, I charge thee. Well, stop right there. You have to understand this is virtually the last will and testament of Paul to Timothy. Paul will have his head taken off here before too terribly long, and he's writing to a young preacher things that he needs to know before he passes off the scene. So what he's telling him has great meaning knowing the context of that. I charge thee, he says, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I think we've gotten to that time. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now watch what he says about himself now. He's been addressing Timothy, but he's fixing to give you a little bit of his testimony. For I am now ready to be offered. He knew his life was about to end here in this world. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at the day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you this morning for the opportunity to open your word again. I'm excited about it, and I pray, Father, that if there's any hesitation in our heart or Lord, maybe a lack of interest this morning in hearing from you. I pray we repent of that even now. pray you'd open our hearts, Lord, to the understanding of your word today. Lord, I've got a lot on my heart, and I don't want to say more than I need to, so I pray you'd help me to say only what you'd have me to say and skip over things I don't. pray that all would be led by your spirit and help us respond, Lord, as your spirit leads us. Bless the invitation today. I pray that your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As you notice on our walls around, if you're visiting with us, our theme this year in 2023 is the theme of being ready. And I, I have a theme, the burden the Lord's put on our heart every year for our church or the direction for that year that we're going to strive to as the Lord would lead us. And when you think about a theme of being ready, we're wanting to be ready to be used for the Lord, but also be ready for the coming of the Lord. If you're going to retitle the word theme, I think you could probably use the word burden interchangeably. That the theme for our church this year is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That theme is simply the burden for our church this year. That the people of Central Baptist Church would, number one, be a ready people. Uh, John was preparing people for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we are the second time waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ again. And I believe just as in the first time, he wants his people ready. So we should be ready this morning, but also making sure we're getting other people ready. That's why the church is here, to get other people ready for the coming of the Lord. That way more folks can go with him when he comes. If you read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, there's something interesting here because Paul is in essence getting Timothy ready. Uh, Paul's about to pass off the scene. He's wanting Timothy to be ready to move forward in the will of God for his life. 
And he concludes this, all of the steps he gives them, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. Those are steps that he gives to Timothy on how he can be ready. But then he concludes with something I want you to see in verse 6. Watch what he says, the first three words of verse 6. For I am, for I am now ready. It's interesting. I've read this, I've preached through this many times, but never really with the thought and the burden of our theme And Paul's getting Timothy ready in verse 1 through verse 5, and he concludes by saying, I am now ready. I am now ready. It's almost as if Paul was saying this, I'm ready. I know that I'm ready, and my time has come. I'm about to leave this life, and all the things the Lord has led me to tell you is how you're going to be ready. And Paul's trying to prepare this young preacher for that. And here's what I want you to think about is Paul prepares Timothy And Paul gives him the information. And Paul says, this is what you need to do. We're going to preach on those things in verse 1 through verse 5. He says, these are things you need to do. But in the end, all Paul could do was give him the information. Is that right? All I can do is give you information. As young people, all your parents can do is give you information. And we get counsel from Sunday school teachers and friends. But all they can do is give you the information that helps get you ready. It's kind of like a, a flight attendant on an airplane, you know. They go through all the, the little card, the safety card, and this is what happens if we crash, and, you know, the life jacket's under there, and here's where the air will come down. And What are they doing? They're trying to get you ready. All right, hopefully you're not going to need it, but they're trying to get you ready. I look around, most of the time people have their headphones on. Some people are already snoring. I'm like, well, I'm going to be ready. I'm watching. Okay, where's the air at? Where's the life jacket at? I want to be ready. Why? Because if the chance does come, I, I want to make sure that I'm ready to go. Now, there is a good chance, there's a guarantee the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. And you need to hear what God says, but in the end, can I tell you, the only person you can make ready is you. You're the only one. Notice what Paul said. Paul said, Timothy, verse 1 through verse 5, here's what you need to do. He says, verse 6, for I am now ready. Now, the the main thought this morning I want to get across to you to understand is readiness has got to be personal. Whether or not you carry the burden of being ready this year really comes down to you. I can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. I can't make sure you're ready to meet the Lord Jesus when he comes. Only you can do that. You see, readiness is a personal matter, and it's something you should be taking personal. We're halfway through the second month of this year. You think about that, 45 days, a little more than that, into this year. Here we are, all the way, almost two months through the year, and if you're not on your way to becoming ready, it's because you haven't taken the theme personally. You have to choose to say that when I get to the end of the road, I want to say what Paul said in verse 6, for I am now ready. Do you know the things that affect me most in life are things I take personally? I want you to think about that. Things that affect you most are things you take personally. And I want to poke a little fun here for a moment. Uh, Several months ago, uh, Miss Patricia came up to me and was telling me how Bradley, uh, they had a career day, homeschooling there, and I think it was career day, or you dress up like someone that you admire, admire. and she said, I want to show you the picture of who he dressed up as. And I'll show you the first picture here of who he dressed up as. He decided he wanted to dress up like his pastor. Write that down. Somebody looked up to their pastor, amen, and looking at him, looking sharp. He even looks better than I do in that picture, looking sharp there. And I was just, man, I just touched my heart a little bit. And then she showed me the second picture. Go ahead, guys. (laughs) 
I was thinking to myself, what's that on his head? And that was just the problem. It was representing nothing on his head, which was representing his pastor. I appreciate the accurate depiction uh, of his pastor there. You know, I didn't mind used to picking on people about their hair. You know, people losing their hair, falling out, <laughs> you know, it's, it's receding up front, falling out up back, you know, and picking on them about that. And, man, I want you to know I saw that picture. I kind of took that personal. It was hard not to take it personal. It, it meant a little more to me now. Why? Because that's personal. When things are personal to us, they mean more to us. When it becomes personal, it means more to us. When you're building a house, look, I hope that you're going to build the best house for everybody. But I'll promise you, you put more work and detail in building your house. It's personal. I'm sure you invest in the lives of other children. And hey, you ought to do right. Hey, I want to be an encouragement to you. But I bet you take a higher level of interest in your children, correct? Why? It's personal. It's personal. Now, can I tell you why some of you will be able to say your verse 6, for I am now ready. You'll be able to say that because you took it personally. Like, Well, our theme this year as a church is to be ready. No, your theme for your life ought to be ready. It ought to be personal to you that I want to say what Paul said in verse 6, for I am now ready. Now, why is this so important this morning? Well, notice what Paul says. You look down, verse 7. He says in verse 6, for I am now ready. Do you know why he was ready? Watch verse 7. I have fought. I have finished. I have kept. Watch. He could say, for I am, because he could also say, for I have. You see, the reason many of us can't say, for I am ready, is because we haven't. Because we haven't made it personal. That, hey, I know for sure that I'm ready to meet the Lord because I have put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, your readiness is a direct result of what you're willing to do if you take it personal. I'm thankful today the Lord Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. And I want to be ready when he comes, serving faithfully. But here's our problem today. We do not take ready personally. It's not a personal pursuit. It's something we're trying to do. Hey, how are we doing? How are we doing? Are we, are we getting ready? No, no. It ought to be, am I getting ready? What could you say in your verse 7 for this year? You could say verse 6, for I am, I am now ready, for I have, you fill in the blank. What have you done? You can't expect to be ready if you haven't done anything to help get you ready. And that's what Paul says in verse number 7. I believe our problem is simply this this morning, and I'll get into the message if we could. Paul says, Timothy, I'm ready because I have done these things. I believe this morning he says, Timothy, if you're going to be ready, you need to do these things, verse 1 through verse number 5. And this morning we're going to look at four of them rather quickly, so I need you to listen close and stay attentive because God's got something for us here today as we look at the personal pursuit of ready. That's the message today, the personal pursuit of ready. Now look at verse number 1. I'm going to hurry Verse uh, point one and point two are the longest, and then they, they get quicker from there, okay? So there is hope. Uh, you'll get to eat today. I charge thee, therefore, before God. Now, notice the serious tone there. I charge thee, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Now, this is important to notice. He's trying to motivate Timothy. I don't know about you. I need motivation from time to time. Amen? 
Maybe you're on a diet, you need some motivation. Maybe to read your Bible, you need some motivation. He's trying to motivate Timothy to reach his verse 6, where Timothy could one day say, for I am now ready. So he motivates him with two things in verse 1. Watch this. The word appearing, the word appearing and the word judge. He's motivating him by realizing that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back one day. He is going to appear, and not only is he going to appear before us, but he is going to judge us as well. I don't know about you, that scares me. I get excited thinking about the Lord coming to get me. I don't get excited thinking about the Lord coming to grade me, right? But that's what he's coming to do. He's coming to judge us. Now, think closely. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, when he comes to judge us, what is he judging us by? Well, the Bible's clear. The Bible says he's judging us by our works, the things that we've done, whether it be good or bad. So watch this. Paul says, Timothy, in order to be ready, as I am in verse number 6, there's some things you need to take personally. Number one, let's look at this, the warning of the work. He warns him that Jesus is coming and that Jesus is going to judge us when he comes. And he's warning him that he needs to be about the work for which God left him here to do. Now remember, Paul says in verse 6, for I am, in verse 7, for I have. Can I tell you, in order for us to be ready this morning... We have got to heed the warning and take personal the warning about the work that God has left us here to do. Sometimes I think we get so wrapped up with all that we have going on in the world and we don't realize that one day we're going to stand before Almighty God. You think about that. And we're going to give an account of what we did in this life. We're going to be judged. Now it's ironic. We live in a culture today that often reminds us that we can't judge each other, right? Brother AJ and I were talking about this this week, um, 1991, Carson's commentary came out and said, now the most quoted verse and known verse when you interview people on the street is Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. It used to be John 3, 16, forever everyone, even lost people knew John 3, 16. It is now Matthew 7 where the Bible says to judge not. Here's what's ironic. In the world we're living in, we are so careful and we're so sure to mention often that we can't judge each other. I think we forget to realize we are going to be judged by God. That we are going to be judged. Look, by the way, you shouldn't worry about me judging you anyway. My judgment doesn't count at all. It doesn't mean anything at all. But when you stand before Almighty God, that's all that's going to matter. The truth is we're, we don't like being judged, but the, the fact is we will be judged by God. Hebrews 9, 27, as it appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Now, can I tell you, being ready for his appearing requires you, it requires you and I to make sure that we heed the warning of the work. Paul says Jesus is coming and he's going to judge us. Therefore, be busy about the will of God for your life. That's amazing to me that we somehow expect to be ready without getting about the work that he's left us here to do. Daniel Webster, the great American statesman, said this, my greatest thought is my accountability to God. My greatest thought is my accountability to God. Can I ask you something this morning? Don't answer out loud and don't answer for your spouse, okay? That's embarrassing. Where does your accountability to God rank 
on the things that you worry about on a daily basis? Where does that rank? Does it rank above what your boss thinks of you or others think of you or what the students in class think of you? Can I tell you the number one thing that ought to motivate our day is the thought of our accountability toward God. Why? Because one day I'm going to stand in front of him and the verdict is going to be eternal. Oh, that we would have things to lay at the feet of Jesus, but that only comes from the fact of us desiring to do the work for which he left us here to do. James 2.20 says this, But wilt thou, O vain man, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Faith without works is dead. Now, folks, look, we are real quick here in the South to talk about the religious things we know. And I'm glad we know some religious things, all right? It makes you sound smarter in the barbershop when you know a little bit of scripture to be able to throw back and forth. But you know, the Bible says that faith without works is dead. That means at some point in your life, if you truly have the faith that we say we do, that faith is going to manifest itself in the form of works. Now, society doesn't like that. Because society says, you know, I, I'm saved and you can't judge whether or not I'm saved. By the way, we get Matthew 7 wrong in our interpretation all the time anyway. I can't look at your heart and judge your heart, but I can sure look at the fruit and judge the tree. Is that not what Jesus said? By their fruit ye shall know them. Now look, I can look at, you come into a bank and you got a mask on and you're carrying a gun, don't be surprised if you get tackled or tased. I've always wanted to tase somebody. I don't know why, but I just always wanted to. I don't want to kill anybody, but, you know, just sometimes in my office, just, you know, maybe just get their mind back in rhythm. They do that for hearts to get them back in rhythm. Maybe just tase some of our teenagers every once in a while. Get things going again. You walk into a bank with a mask on and a bag and a gun. Don't be surprised if you get judged. Why? Because that's what you look like. Now, I can't judge your heart. And the Bible says not to judge. I can't judge your heart. But sooner or later, what's in your heart ought to come out in your works. Is that just dumb or, or is that truth? Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can't curse right and left all the time and convince me you're a good person. Why? Because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth's going to speak. And sooner or later, some works ought to show up for what we say we believe. By the way, that's why nobody wants what we have. Indian chiefs met up in New York back in the 1800s. I can't remember what the chief's name was. Uh, but they came to hear a missionary, true story, up in New York City about uh, the gospel. This missionary was going to present the gospel to these Indian chiefs. The Indian chief says, we are friends with many of the white men in this area. We will sit back, we will watch how your gospel changes them, and then we will decide afterward. What a fear this morning that people are watching our life. People are watching our faithfulness. People are watching what we say and watch what we do and where we go and how we, whether or not we're two-faced or not. And in the end, can I tell you, our work matters not only in this life but the next. That's why he says this. Watch verse 1. He says, I'm charging you. Understand this this morning. Jesus is coming. He's going to judge us. And if you're going to be ready, you better heed the warning of the work. Now, understand, I'm not talking about salvation. Can we cover that? I'm not talking about salvation. Aren't you glad Jesus did all of the work? Paid in full. He lived the sinless life, went up to the cross, died, rose again. He did all of the work. I'm talking about in our service to God. There should be something in your life that shows what you profess said happened in your heart. If you just look at Paul's own words in verse 7, watch what he says. I have fought a good fight. 
I have finished, what is that next word? My. Now, I'm not an English major. Miss Pam helps me with my English all the time, and I'm thankful for that. But I believe the word my is a personal pronoun, is it not? Is that right? Personal pronoun. He says, I have finished my course. Does that not mean that Paul had a personal will of God and a personal work for him to accomplish? It's amazing. Watch. You look at verse 7. He says this, I have fought a good fight. That's general. The very end, he says, I have kept the faith. That's the general faith we have. But right there in the middle, he says, there was something personal for me. Something personal. Do you know there's something personal for you today? If you are saved, you have a course with your name on it. I have a course with my name on it. And if I'm going to be ready when Jesus comes, I've got to heed the warning of the work and realize this is personal. You say, well, I came to church today. I'm glad you came to church today. It's awful lonely when there's nobody to preach to. I learned what that was like during COVID. And so I'm glad you're here. And I hope you're glad you're here. But can I tell you, this is the collective work of the church. We come together. I'm thankful we get to do this. It's, it's not work at all. The work is the will of God for our lives and your life. And I'll tell you why so many people never fulfill it. They never take it personal. What was your course? Why are you still here? Why didn't God take you to heaven when you got saved? Because you have a personal course, a personal work that God has sent you here to do. Now, who is our example in Scripture? Well, it's Jesus. All right? Uh, I think uh, I had somebody argue with me one time. Somebody argued with me about baptism. You know, about baptizing in Jesus' name and all this. And Paul says, you know, you baptize in Jesus' name. I said, well, Jesus said, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Now, I don't think they disagree, to be honest with you. I said, but if I have to pick one, I'm going with Jesus, all right? Now, let's go with Jesus. What did Jesus say? I must work the work of him that sent me while it is day. Watch this. In that short little verse, he's acknowledging something that Jesus had a work to do that was prescribed for him by his father that was specifically for him. And just as Jesus is our example, you and I have a work that we're prescribed to do by our father that is specific for us. That's why Paul says here, hey, Timothy, make sure I'm charging you, Jesus is coming, and I'm warning you to take the work personally. I was talking the other day on the phone with Brother Ellis. They're tuning in this morning and thankful we were able to do that. And health is not allowing them to be able to get out. And I was talking to him on the phone and he was telling me about a new ministry that he has that I want to encourage you to try. He said, I can't get out and go as I used to could. And you pray for them, pray for their health, that maybe it'll get improved where they can. But right now they can't. He says, so every time one of those telemarketers call, I tell them about Jesus. Not only does he, look, he doesn't dread it anymore. You know, every time I see one of those things on my phone, probably spam. Number one, it makes me hungry because I like spam. But number two, I dread it. I dread answering it. Oh, you know, or I don't even answer it at all. He looks forward to it. Can I tell you why? Watch this. He sees an opportunity to work. You know what? I can't go and I can't do it like I used to could. He told me the other day he was speaking with a, uh, someone of the Islamic faith. And he got through the entire plan of salvation before he hung up on him. I said, the seed got planted. The word of God is quick and it's powerful. It got planted in his heart. What is he doing? I must work. So my health's not the way that it could, but I still must work. Why? Because I'm still here. How do you know if God still has something for you to do? You ready? Real deep theology here. I went four years of Bible college to get this. 
you know that God has something for you to do if you're still here. So you're, I'm going to have to chew on that for a minute. If you're still here drawing a breath, can I tell you, you need to heed the warning of the work that Jesus is going to appear one day and he's going to judge us by what we did in this life. So Paul says, Timothy, watch this. I am now ready. I am now ready. And Paul says, I want to show you how to be ready. Number one, make sure you heed the warning of the work. Make sure you take that personally. Now, could I, could, I, could I be just real honest with you for a moment? A lot of times, here's what I hear from people. Well, I may not be telling people about Jesus, and I may not be faithful to church, but the Lord knows my heart. Amen. Swallow hard. Amen. All right, the Lord does know your heart. He does. Can I tell you what he says about your heart? Listen close. Matthew 12, 35. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Can I tell you what that verse is telling you? If your heart is what you think it is, sooner or later your heart is going to bring forth works that reflect what's going on in your heart. God did not change your heart for it to just to stay in your heart. God changed your heart for that to bubble over on the outside and all of a sudden your life brings forth good works. That's why we're here. Can I tell you, you do so much damage and I do damage as a Christian. When I talk about what Jesus did to my heart and you never see it in your life. I'm just being straight up with you. You wonder why our family won't listen to us. You wonder why our kids won't listen to us and we're trying to point them to Jesus. It's because there's no works to back up the testimony of what we say is in our heart. Oftentimes, I'll speak with people about how they need to let the Word of God change their life, and uh, it's amazing to me, the only time we really get in and study Scripture is when we're trying to get out of doing what God told us to do. <laughs> it's true. I know more Christians, the most Scripture they know is to defend what they know is wrong. Well, I read this verse over in Leviticus. <laughs> Can I tell you something this morning? If we worked as hard to get about the work of God as we do to get out of the work of God, oh my goodness, our country would not look in the shape it's in today. The problem is we don't heed this warning of the work. He says, Timothy, verse 1, take it personally. Jesus is coming. He's going to judge you. Teddy Roosevelt said this, if you could kick the person in the pants responsible for the most trouble in your life, you wouldn't sit for a month. Look. I promise you, I have, I have probably uh, done wrong, and I probably uh, caused you to have reason to doubt. I'm sure, I, look, if you watch me, I'm going to make a mistake sooner or later. But I promise you, I'm not your problem. The person sitting next to you is not your problem. <laughs> you know, I would, I would work in the ministry, but some of those people are human, just like you. Can I tell you, I don't care how human they are. You ought to be about the work. Why? Jesus is coming, and he's going to judge, number one. What's the first thing in the personal pursuit of being ready? The warning of the work. Let's hurry. Verse number two, he gives him something else. Watch what he says. He starts getting specific in what work he needs to be about. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Doctrine. Notice there is something specific he needed to focus on. In verse two, he says, I want you to preach the word. Why? The second thing he needed to take personally in his pursuit of being ready as Paul was in verse 6. Number 2, notice the work of the word. 
the work of the word. You need to take that personally. Now, Paul's telling Timothy how to be prepared for his appearing. And he says, Timothy, you're not going to be prepared for his appearing unless you make the word of God the priority of your life. And oh, what a truth this morning. I've been very, very blessed and very excited as a pastor. Brother Bo comes to me and says, we're out of tracks. Uh, a lot of our people have been taking tracks, making sure we witness this year and give out tracks. We've already had to reorder. I think we're about to order 7,500 or 10,000 new tracks because they're going out so fast. I'm thankful for that. Uh, people come to me and they're complaining. It's probably the, my favorite complaint. We are out of tracks. You want to know what my not favorite complaints is? See me after the service and I'll be glad to tell you what those are. I'm so excited. Our people are, are making a priority of the word of God in their life. I want to make sure somebody gets the gospel today, that somebody reads the plan of salvation, that somebody hears how they can be ready for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ because they're going to be judged as well. I'm thankful that our people are putting a priority on that. I don't believe there's anything ailing our country this morning that the word of God can't fix. I don't believe it. I don't think there's anything this morning that the word of God can't change in somebody's life. He said, well, I know people hooked on this, addicted to this, having struggles with this. I believe that God's word still changes lives. Quit arguing with them your, your, your philosophy. Quit arguing with them uh, your ideas and opinions. That's not what America needs. What America needs is just a good old-fashioned dose of the word of God. That's what changed my life. That's what changed my life. That's what changed my home. That's what changed my children. Listen, that's what's changed our church. It was the word of God that somebody faithfully carried forth to us. Now God says, okay, now you pass the baton. Somebody passed the baton to you and gave the word of God to you and it changed your life. Can I tell you this morning, it's time for us to make the word of God a priority in our life as well. You will not be ready for the appearing. Paul says, Timothy, I'm ready. Verse 6, let me tell you what you need to do to be ready. Preach the word. Make it a priority in your life. But here's the truth I want you to understand. Not only does the world need the word, the church needs the word. Okay? We're all, you know, we have a tendency. You're human, okay? Your flesh may not be as rotten as mine. We all have a tendency to sit here in this building and think, yeah, all those people outside these walls, they need Jesus. That's their problem. All the folks that are addicted to this and hooked on that and can't get right with this and struggling with that, they just, they just need the word. Can I tell you the reason they don't have it is because the church needs the word. Because we're not making the word of God a priority and taking it personally in our life. Can I tell you, I promise you, you will not be ready for the appearing and judgment that's going to follow if you don't make the word of God a priority in your life. The word of God's got to have priority. Now, notice real quick, all right? You're listening. You're, you're smiling. I don't know if maybe you're just medicated, but uh, hey, I appreciate you smiling, and it's going to help us get through this as fast as God would have us to. Notice what he says. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Oh, there's a lot we could say there. We don't have time this morning. Let's skip on down. Watch what it says. He says, reprove. Reprove. The word reprove simply means this, expose to light or correct. Okay? All of us have both administered re reproof and we've all received reproof. I'll give an example. Uh, reproof is a gentle nudge of correction. You ever been nudged? Say, yeah, I've watched your wife elbow you in this service many times. And husbands and kids likewise. 
Reproof is when you're like, ah, ah. You might be drifting. You're drifting a little bit. That's what reproof is. It's kind of like my wife, Holy Spirit number two, that rides in the car with me. I love the way she gets creative with telling me I'm speeding. I really do. She has thought up some, some great ways to a kind way reprove me for my speeding. Uh, one that she's used lately. Ooh, this looks like a good place to see a cop. <laughs> Ladies, there's a way to do it, all right? No wonder he's in a bad mood all the time. You're nagging him all the time. Slow down. We're going to get a ticket. We don't have the money for that. Look, learn how to reprove. Give a nudge. Oh, man, I saw somebody here the other day. They got a ticket. My favorite, the one she does all the time is this. It's only 45? <laughs> you look over, I'm doing 80. <laughs> or sometimes her face says it all. She just got her eyes closed. What is that? It's reproof. Do you know one thing I'm afraid we don't do very well in the church? We don't take personally the work of the word in the area of reproof. So when God's word is preached, we don't allow it to nudge us. God says, you're drifting a little bit. You're drifting a little bit. I'm trying to nudge you back. I'm trying to get you back. What is he doing? He's trying to reprove us. Can I tell you, you ought to take that personally. Instead of looking around the room and going, yeah, oh, oh that hit home for them. Why don't you ask, say, did that hit home for me? Take it personally. Because watch this. Whether or not they get right or they get reproof or not is not going to change one thing about how you get judged. And you're sitting there thinking, yeah, he got them today. Yes, I have been praying that God would get on them, and he used a preacher today. Thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer. And all the while, you're missing the reproof that God's trying to nudge you gently over just a little bit. The Bible says, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. You know what that means? You ought to let God go there. Nowhere in your life that you won't let God shine the light of reproof. Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing in your life that you're like, uh-uh, God, you're not shining that light of reproof on that. There's nothing you should be off limits for God. I'll give you an example. The other day I took Miley to the doctor, and uh, she had some sinus issues going on. Every time nowadays you go to the doctor for sinus issues, you know what they're going to do? They're going to stick that shish kebab stick up to your brain. And they're going to poke your brain on both sides for like 10 minutes. Some of you are like, I'm not going to the doctor ever again. No, I know they have to do that. And I went a few days before and she went a few days after. Now, she wasn't in there when I got tested. I'm not joking. I, it just it drives me nuts. That thing goes up your nose. I mean, first of all, it's like two feet long. And then by the time they finish, there's only six inches showing, you know. You're like, where did that go? Up in my head. And so this is no joke. I was in the doctor. I sat in the chair. I put my head against the wall where I couldn't move. Because if you move, it makes it worse. And I'm sitting there and I'm sure the lady was dying laughing. I know she told stories about me at the dinner table when she got home. <laughs> this guy in there today, he's like 43 years old, acting like a kid, sticking his stick up his nose, you know, and all that. Well, then Miley goes in the other day. She was sick, had to miss school, and we took her in. And I says, Miley, you got to get swabbed. She's like, oh, I don't want to. I said, be a man. <laughs> Quit acting like a wimp. <laughs> I was in here the other day. You should have seen me. I'm glad she didn't see me. <laughs> she's like, Dad, I don't know if I wanted to put that stick up my nose. I said, you got to let him go there. 
That's the only way they're going to find what's wrong with you in order to get better. You've got to let them go there. And so she's sitting there, me and her mom are holding her down. You know, no, I'm, I'm picking. She goes, that lady was so nice. The lady I had, evidently, she had a bad day. She was like, and, and with Miley, she barely gets in her nose. And she's just like, I said, see, I told you it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad when I did it either. But I said, you got to let them go there, Miley. you got to let them go there. That's how they're going to find what you need to get better. Can I tell you, reproof is something you should take personally. Let God go there. We're like, no, God, I, I can't let you see that. And God's trying to shine the light on a spiritual cancer in your life. And he wants to show that to you. Why? He's trying to correct that in your life. But you're like, no, I'm not letting God have that. And you're going to sit there and you're going to die spiritually, not ready for the appearing and for the judgment because you did not let the word of God have priority in your life. Remember it this way. You won't be changed by the word if you won't be challenged by the word. If you don't let the word of God challenge your life, then the word of God can't change your life. At some point, you've got to let God put his finger on something. Can I ask you this? Do you take reproof seriously? Do you take it personally? Notice the next thing he says, I'm going to hurry. He says here, rebuke. Now, rebuke is kind of less gentle, okay? Rebuke is when you have not only started to get out of where you need to be, you're now off the road, across the line, and you're driving in the ditch. That's rebuke. That's when you're hearing something and you're like, man, that just got all over my toes. That made me feel bad. I don't want anything to do with that. That's what rebuke is. You ought to take rebuke personally. Let God apply rebuke to your life. Why? God doesn't like his children riding in the ditches. You know, some people, I watch them, you can tell when they're texting. Boom, boom, off the lanes. You know, thank the Lord for those rumble strips. You know, I love hitting those when my wife is praying. You know, going down the road. She looks over, are you awake? I'm like, yes, you're not. That's why it bothered you so much. You were asleep. Now watch this. That is what rebuke is. It lets you know, hey, you're not only drifting, you're almost over here in the ditch. You say, well, I don't like that. Can I give you some scripture real quick? Hebrews 12, 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. <laughs> it's not supposed to feel good. But grievous, amen. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Do you know what rebuke does? It's spiritual exercise. Let God chasten you. You know why so many of us have poor spiritual health? It's the same reason we have poor physical health. We don't exercise. The Bible says that chastening exercises us. I read a horrible, horrible statistic this week on military.com. A new study from the Pentagon shows that 77% of young Americans would not qualify for military service without a waiver due to being overweight using drugs, having mental or physical health problems. The key component in that study was being overweight. Do you know why we're not qualified for service? We don't exercise. That's physically. Do you know why we're not qualified for being used of God in our service and we're not ready to meet Jesus when he appears? It's because we're not exercised by chastening. Let the Lord rebuke you. Could we agree this morning we're not all right all the time? Some of you are not all right most of the time. But we're not all right all the time. But we act like, oh, I'm never going back to that church again. Why? I just couldn't believe he spoke to me that way. Now, look, I'm being honest with you. I'm not speaking to you that way. I'm just trying to preach the Bible because the answer is in the Bible. 
All right? And if the rebuke fits, hey, let's wear it. Why? Because after, we're going to be exercised and be better fit to be used by God. D.L. Moody had a lady tell him that years ago as he walked out of a church service. She says, I don't know that I've ever been spoken to that way in my life. He says, I can tell. And you look at God's people, you can tell we haven't been exercised by God's rebuke. Number two, Paul says, Timothy, number one, number one, you better heed the warning of the work. Take that personally. The work needs to be personal. Number two, let the work of the word be personal. I'm going to hurry. At some point, we have to take the word of God personally in our life and let God do with the word what he wants to in our life. Then look down, verse three, I'm going to hurry through this one. Verse three and four is really one point. He gives them a danger, for the time will come, I believe we're there, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap, they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. The third thing that he's showing him he needs to take personally is the worry of the world. The worry of the world. Paul says, okay, watch. Here's your work, verse 1. You need to preach, verse 2. Take the word of God seriously. Verse 3 and verse 4, he says, I want you to understand it's not always going to be received well. If you're trying to raise your children right according to the word of God in 2023, can I tell you, you have already been confronted by the worry of the world. Why? Well, there's no way you can reprove and rebuke and exhort and expect everyone to be happy with it. I get reproved, I get rebuked, I get exhortation, I'm not happy with it either. But can I tell you something? That's what is needed. And I can't let the worry of the world keep me from doing what I need to do to be ready for the appearing and the judgment. You see how that works. Now watch, the Bible says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is basically truth. That word endure is what I want you to focus on just for a few minutes. We're going to hurry. They will not endure it. You see, sound doctrine has to be endured. That's why people leave Bible-preaching churches to go somewhere where they're told what they want to hear. That's exactly what verse number 3 and verse number 4 says. The Bible says they won't endure it. The word endure means to bear up or to sustain. Do you know why Demas forsook Paul? He couldn't bear up. He didn't want to carry the burden of God's will for his life. So Demas says, I'm out of here. I don't want to carry that burden anymore. He wouldn't endure the sound doctrine of the will of God for his life. Can I tell you, that's why good people leave good churches. I'm not saying they're bad people. After a while, you get tired of bearing up. Why? Our kids start whining at us. Don't whine at your parents, all right? They start whining at us. Mom and dad, why do we not get to go with those guys? And why do we have to live differently than those people? And why can't we watch that? Why can't we listen to that? It's just a burden to be a Christian. Absolutely. That's why he says you have to endure sound doctrine. The truth of the word of God is heavy. It would be easy for me just to do this. Watch. Verse 4. Turn away my ears from the truth and turn on the fables. Just go tell, hey, just lie to me. When I go to the doctor and I step up on the scale, I tell them, lie to me. When I go to Krispy Kreme, I ask them, are these low fat? And they look at me like, sir? I'm like, lie to me, okay? Yes, sir, these are low fat. That's all I need. I'm good. Why? Because I want the donut. You see, that is our lust. The Bible says they, verse number three, they want to endure sound doctrine, but because of their lust, this is what I want to hear. I'm going to go find somewhere where somebody tells me what I want to hear, and I'll promise you. Could I tell you this before we close this morning? I am so thankful for the people in our church who not only endure my preaching, but are willing to endure sound doctrine. 
You mean the world to your pastor. That I know, listen, that no matter how bad the preaching may be at times, that those people are going to be there as long as we're preaching truth. If I quit preaching truth, chunk me out of this place. But if it's truth, let's endure it. Why? Because the only other answer is to turn away and lead our children into fables. Number three, Paul says, the personal pursuit of being ready. You better take the worry of the world personally. It's coming, I promise you. You better endure truth finally, and we'll end on a good note. Verse 5, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Paul says, Timothy, verse 6, I'm ready. I'm ready, okay? I am now ready. I can only speak for myself. If you're going to be ready, watch, heed the warning of the word. Take the work personally. Number two, let the word of God have its way in your life. Let that be personal. Take the worry of the world personal. Be careful. It's coming for you. And then finally, no matter how much they resist, no matter how much persecution, watch thou in all things endure afflictions. Number four. I believe what we need this morning in the personal pursuit of being ready is a willingness to wait. A willingness to wait. He says, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. You see, the temptation is when you endure and you're carrying the burden of truth, but after a while it's so hard. People are picking on you. They're picking on your kids. I just want to quit. Can we all agree at least we've been tempted with that? Absolutely, I have. You just want to quit, but wait a minute. The Bible says watch, be willing to wait it out, endure, do the work, keep your focus. Why? Because the answer is in verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Stop. It's like, well, I must be lucky to be Paul. Man, he finished his course, and he's got a crown. But wait a minute. He's not done. And not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. You've got to wait it out. You've got to wait it out. You're not going to become ready overnight. It's not going to happen. You've got to wait it out. Don't quit on God when things get hard. Don't quit on God when somebody else quits on God. Don't quit on God when you don't feel like it. Hey, he says, watch in all things. Endure afflictions. Why? Because the end of the game, you want to be ready for the appearing and for the judgment of Christ. Can I tell you how you're going to be ready this morning? You're going to take it personally. You may look around and you say, I don't think anybody else is filling their card out anymore. That guy don't even know where his card is at. I look at his Bible, it's not there. Well, it doesn't matter because you're not going to have to give him account for him. You're going to give an account for you. And this morning, if you don't take being ready personally, heed that warning of the work. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Number one, are you ready in salvation? If he died right now, if he came back right now, are you sure you're going? If not, I'd beat it down to this altar in a minute. Somebody will take the word of God and help get you ready. Be sure this morning that you allow, number one, the work to motivate you, then the word to motivate you. Would you let God rebuke you a little bit this morning? Would you let God reprove you a little bit this morning? Why? He's wanting to get you ready. Number three, are you worried about the world this morning? You ought to be. Because they're coming for you as you try to get ready to make sure you're not ready because they're not ready and they want you to be right there with them. The only way you're going to get there is to be willing to wait on the will of God this morning. I'll quote this, Isaiah 40, 31. They that what? Wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
The Bible says they'll mount up with wings as eagles, but you got to wait it out. You got to be willing this morning to wait so the will of God could become full circle in your life to where you're ready for that appearing. Let's stand together this morning. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Went a little over, but I want you just to hear this morning.